Good evening. In Christ's sacrifice, dear Christian friends, have you uh, had the opportunity to watch many people in your life, or any, go through the dying process? It's, it's very difficult to watch, and it's very inst- instructive and enlightening also. One of the, the side benefits, if you will, of being in the pastoral ministry is that you're thrust into that situation with your parishioners as one by one the Lord calls them to heaven. So if you've got, been around as long as I have just by your office, you've, you've been around people that are going through the dying process. Sometimes takes months, maybe a couple years, maybe a couple weeks. Having also watched both of my parents and both of Mary's parents go through it with health problems, it is, it is a, in the words of one of our, my best friends and some of your friend, Harold Johnny, who was a retired pastor here, when I went to see him in the nursing home and he was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, in the, his words, it's a massive experience. That's what he said. He said, Don, this is a massive experience. Hard to watch. Regardless of what your experience is, did you know on Thursday night when you're reading about Jesus, you're watching Him go through the dying process? Mentally and emotionally and spiritually, that's what He's doing. He's embracing the fact that He's terminal. He's going to die. And He's going to die. It's it, it, just, just like you and I shrink back from death, He's going to die where... His soul will be separated from his body for a time. He's going through all the awfulness of death that we hate, but worse. We get to die with the promises of the gospel knotted up in our heart and clinged to, right? And we get to, to die with, the, with people whispering the promises and our friends and family gathered around our side, but his was flipped upside down. He had the curse of God and the abandonment of his friends. And he had the darkness of hell while he was dying. And he faced that in Gethsemane because he had been, he knew, and he'd been telling his disciples about it. And he's going through the the dying process. And what's fascinating as we watch him is that, and what's so instructive is that we learn about his perfect heart, his perfect words. The perfect answer that his father gives him, which doesn't feel perfect at all to most of us when we hear a no, and his perfect response. So in meditating on it, we can grow in, in wisdom in a lot of ways. So we'll read the, the one by one those passages, and I'll show you what I mean. And hopefully you'll, you'll catch what I'm saying. Verse 36 to 39 of Matthew 26. When Jesus, then Jesus went with his disciples to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, along with him, and he wanted them to watch him pray. He said, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. By the way, two huge negative emotions, depression, sorrow, all mixed together, and anxiety, trouble, tribulation, all all of that mixed together in the heart of Jesus. Then he said to them, catch these words, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. He's not saying my soul is overwhelmed because I'm going to die tomorrow. That isn't what he's saying. He's saying I am overwhelmed with sorrow and trouble right now so much that I feel like I'm going to die right now. He is closed in. He is... uh, the, 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 one of the words for being in tribulation in the New Testament is, is thlipsis. It means to be in a really tight spot where you can't move. He's, he's in his heart, maybe even in his body. He's pacing. He's coming apart at the seams emotionally. That's what he means. Again, if you've ever been around someone who's fearful of death and, and, they, and, and they feel death is imminent, it's not pretty to watch. It's often this awful anxiety that we have because we don't want to die. Jesus had that. But he had a perfect heart. So there's some insight there. First of all, what do you mean he had a perfect heart? Well, he, we know he did from everything that is taught about him and everything he said outside of this, but... We also can tell by the way he's behaving. He invited his disciples to come and watch him. What do most of us do when we have these anxieties? Especially men. Hide. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want anybody to see me. Pastor, you can pray in your study. Do not pray in front of the church. I don't want them to know my life is coming apart. Jesus' heart? Perfect. I want you to come watch with me. I want to, he's transparent about it. He tells them, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow and anxiety. It's just, I'm a total mess. Imagine being with the Lord who calmed the storms and he looks you in the eye in the darkness of the garden and he goes, I'm a wreck. I'm a hot mess. Perfect heart in showing them the agonies of death. In a place in the New Testament, it says he tasted death for everyone. So we would not be afraid of death. Of course, it's always the death of hell added to his death. With his perfect heart, he then prayed perfect words. And um, before I move on, I want to say, I, I, I want to make it clear. The reason I'm pointing out that he was such, had so much anxiety and that he was perfect is I want you to understand that that part of you that shrinks back from death like that is not your sinful nature necessarily. And you can't not be a sinner, so it's mixed in there. But it is not sinful to shrink back from death. You don't have to fake it. Or be self-critical, like maybe I'm not a Christian because I'm afraid of death. Death is awful. We weren't created to have our soul ripped out of our body and have see the demise of this thing, this vessel, this temple. Okay, so perfect words come out of his mouth as he prays in the agonies of stress. This is what he says. Going a little farther, he fell face down to the ground and he said, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I want to point out that it is a perfect prayer from a perfect heart that asks if there is another way. It is 
just fine to ask God to relieve you of your suffering, to give you a pass, to help it get resolved in another way. Beg him like a child, begs his father. Talk to him and ask him if it's possible, let's do it another way. Perfect words. Backed up by, but let your will be done. I'm asking, but I'm not griping. I'm not telling, I'm not twisting your arm. I'm just asking. This is so bad. It's so hard. Is there any other way? Perfect prayer. Then, he comes out and he sees the disciples for a moment, for most of the moments of the sermon. I'm not going to focus on the disciples till later. But he, he comes out and then he's, he sees them sleeping and he goes back to pray again. And oftentimes it can fly right over your head. There's actually a change in the prayer as Jesus is going through the seasons of prayer with God the Father that night. He's starting to change in his request. I will see if you can find it with me. Go to verse 42. He went away a second time and he prayed, My Father, if it is not possible, that word not was not in the first prayer. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Remember I said the perfect words? Jesus has been telling his disciples that this was going to happen, this suffering and death, being turned over, being treated, mistreated by a friend. It says in John 6, early on he knew who would betray him. So he, he knows. Betrayer's on his way. Probably could see from the Mount of Olives, 200 feet above the city of Jerusalem, them coming out of the gates with the torches. So he knows. And he's, but he say, so he says, if it's not possible, I'm going to tell you my desire, Father, your plan. Your will be done. I'm not griping. I'm not complaining. I'm not twisting your arm. I'm telling you how to run the universe. I'm not telling you how to run my life. Your will be done. This is where Jesus is very different from the great saint, Job. There's so much to learn by watching Job never lose his faith after he's, while he was suffering so terribly and he lost so many things. But Job did yell at God a lot. (laughs) Why wasn't I not even born if you were going to treat me this way? I'd be better off in the grave. I'm more righteous than so many other people. I made covenants with my eyes that I'd never lust after a woman and you do this to me. I want my day in court. What does Jesus say? It's not possible. Let your will be done. Perfect words. Great model for us. Ask boldly, but realize you're asking the God, the perfect God who's got a plan. And God gives him the perfect answer. We don't hear it, but Jesus heard it. He knew that God's answer to him was no. So this is how we know he heard it. When he... uh, when he, verse 45, when he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Father has said no. And I'm being delivered into the hands of sinners. And I want to stop right there and talk about the perfect answer. You and I feel like 
the perfect answer would be yes to the request to relieve suffering. We don't feel like the perfect answer would be, no, you need to suffer. Um, One of the uh, men who went through our seminary, he was a little bitty boy, like five years old, when I was his vicar in Houston, Tim Grunmeyer. He, uh, He had a collection of baseball cards his mom was a Chris Gabert. She still is. <laughs> Ruth is a, a, is a loves God word, God's word, witnesses all the time. She had the kids at church. There was a huge storm. We had a metal, a metal uh, cross tower with a bell in it, and there was a huge thunderstorm. And that tower was across the driveway from the, the, the uh, sanctuary. I was standing in the sanctuary. Storm was raging. We'd had a Bible study in there, and then you know, I was trying to stay out of the rain. She was leaving to get her kids and her family home in her van. She went between the tower and the church, and a lightning bolt hit the tower, and a ball of fire blasted through the glass on their van. And then it's pouring down rain. No one got hurt, but all of his baseball cards were sopping wet. And they came into the sanctuary where a vicar was, and this is what Tim said. God made his first mistake. (laughs) That was Tim's theology. It's yours too. Right? No is not a good answer. And so if it is a good answer, there's something wrong with me. Right? Because he'd say no to me because he's got, he's rejecting me. He's got favorites. Maybe there's something I've done that I should be feeling. Maybe I I know what I did. You know, and you're you're, you're getting all into yourself. When actually no is a good answer. No was their plan from eternity. It says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's even Jesus' will. It's not a feeling, but it's a good thing that his will is in alignment with God's will. And he finds a spiritual joy in in serving our salvation that's greater than the feeling of relief. And so the father knew it was good for Jesus to hear a no. But it was good for us, right? And the whole world. So we'd have the message of unconditional salvation for all people. And and it really saves souls. It was the yes, really, inside the no. It was a beautiful answer. It was perfect. And it's also perfect for you. It may be that your no is for others to be served. It may be that you get the joy of suffering with faith instead of with complaint. It may be a hundred other things. But it's, it's a, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, God's no is always a yes. It's always yes with God. So much to learn here. And Jesus has the perfect response to the perfect answer. He says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I was talking with someone, I can't remember who it was or I would give them credit. It was somebody around here in Austin that was talking about helping somebody else deal with their suffering. And they said, Pastor, they were telling me the story. I said, Pastor, I just told her, you just got to go with it. You got to quit fighting it. You got to accept it. And you got to go with it. I'm reminded of that, uh, you know, those planes that were hijacked in 9-11 and they they were flown into buildings. One of them never made it to its destination, did it? The people on that plane, uh, a few men, figured out, we're going to die. But they're going to try to take out a whole bunch of innocent people. 
We're going to try to bring those guys down and just try to figure out what we're going to do. And somebody was calling and, and leaving a message on their loved one's phone. And so you could hear the activity in the background. And this guy goes, okay, let's go. Let's roll. Remember that? And then that became a t-shirt and a, and a bumper sticker. Let's roll. And they, they, they jumped the bad guys, killed them. And the plane went down in a wooded area and it killed everybody on the plane. But it didn't kill hundreds of people outside the plane they were they knew their situation was dismal they were going to do the right thing and they they very courageously did it that's another example not near as perfect as jesus here comes my betrayer let us rise and go in the beginning of the the darkness of hell crowded in on jesus the prayer time was over he had a great answer a response to god's answer now, have you noticed the, over, the overtones of everything that I'm saying tonight is about him as our model and example? And he is. But I want to point out something. If that's all that he is, we're in a bad place. Because we can never be what he was. Those disciples are really who we are. I remember someone, uh, her name was Opal, saying to me one time on a phone call, Pastor, every time I start to pray, my mind just drifts away, and I, sometimes I even fall asleep while I'm praying. And it's so awful. I, does God forgive me for that? Who, who of us have not thought that, felt that? As much as we've tried, right? Um, we'll never be Jesus. That's why Jesus is Jesus. He was the perfect suffering son of God to be the perfect sacrifice. The way the writer of the Hebrews says it is, he had to suffer to the nth degree. He learned obedience and so became perfect. I thought he already was perfect. Well, the word perfect has a different nuance in that, in that passage in Hebrews. What it means is he brought his moral perfection to its complete test. A completely as far as any human being could ever go to the very end suffering hell for other people unfairly to deal with the unrighteousness forever by the sacrifice. Jesus was the Savior of the world when he prayed perfectly, when he had a perfect response. Cling to him. Have that as your, your in, when you meditate during Lent on that, have that as your strength and your peace and your joy. The big answer to this whole story as you watch it is not be like Jesus so you can feel good about yourself and your spirituality. It's look at Jesus saving your soul. Hit that next slide back there. But, doesn't that make you want to be like Jesus? Sure. The greatest admiration is to copy someone. Uh, I have always um, admired people that can paint and make it look real. I'm, I'm sorry, but I have no affinity for modern art where they just throw the paint on the wall and they make millions of dollars off of just splatters. <laughs> but to paint something that looks really real. And I, I've, I know a lot of people that want to paint that way, just like me, but can't. And so they learn to paint by numbers. That's what this is, is a painting by numbers picture. There's half of a little picture. There's a whole bunch of numbers. It's kind of faded out in the light. And all the little numbered paint dishes. Have you ever done that? Yeah. 
I did it one time. I thought it looked pretty good for a paint by numbers. My prayers look kind of like painting by numbers compared to Jesus. We, we follow the pattern, right? But they're not a ma- our, our prayers are not a masterpiece. But they are a servant's piece. They're our piece. And people can still see Jesus at work in us. Even Job, whom I held up, said some things that we're rather critical of, is a fantastic example of a, a sinner who never gave up his faith, who prayed many wonderful things. In fact, God did not criticize Job at the end. He criticized his friends. He exonerated Job. Because even though his painting was painted by numbers, rather than the masterpiece. God the Father knew he had a masterpiece coming for Job, and so did Job. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he'll stand upon the earth. My eyes will behold him and not another. And we live 2,000 years beyond Jesus. Job lived 2,000 years before, and here we are praying while we suffer. It's paint by numbers, but it's still acceptable to God because we're sanctified by the faith we have in the Savior who prayed perfectly for us. Isn't Lent awesome? Amen.